ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so the last section we were talking about was the section regarding the Qur'an. The Qur'an being the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the author had said, وَقَالَ عَلَيْهِ الصَّلَاةُ وَالسَّلَامُ In fact, before that, the author had said, uh, speaking about the Qur'an and the virtues of the Qur'an, قَالَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ مَنْ قَرَأَ الْقُرْآنَ فَأَعْرَبَهُ فَلَهُ بِكُلِّ حَرْفٍ مِّنْهُ عَشْرُ حَسَنَاتٍ وَمَنْ قَرَأَهُ وَلَحَنَ فِيهِ فَلَهُ بِكُلِّ حَرْفٍ حَسَنَاتٍ That whomsoever reads the Qur'an, whomsoever reads the Qur'an, and he pronounces and reads it with proficiency, then for him, on every letter is ten rewards. And whomsoever reads the Qur'an, but makes error in reading it, is not proficient in reading it, then he will still have a reward for every letter. Meaning he is still rewarded upon that effort and upon that striving of reading the Qur'an. Similarly, the Prophet ﷺ said, اقرأوا القرآن قبل أن يأتي قوم يقيمون حروفه إقامة السهم لا يجاوز تراقيهم يتعجلون أجره ولا يتأجلون وقال أبو بكر وعمر رضي الله عنهما إعراب القرآن يحب إلينا من حفظ بعض حروفه وقال علي رضي الله عنه من كفر بحرف منه فقد كفر به كله وَاتَّفَقَ الْمُسْلِمُونَ عَلَىٰ عَدِّي سُوَرِ الْقُرْآنِ وَآيَاتِهِ وَكَلِمَاتِهِ وَحُرُوفِهِ وَلَا خِلَافَ بَيْنَ الْمُسْلِمِينَ فِي أَنَّ مَنْ جَحَدَ مِنَ الْقُرْآنِ سُورَةً أَوْ آيَةً أَوْ كَلِمَةً أَوْ حَرْفًا مُتَّفَقًا عَلَيْهِ أَنَّهُ كَافِرٌ فِي هَذَا حُجَّ قَاطِعَ عَلَىٰ أَنَّهُ حُرُوفٌ So here the author was mentioning certain narrations to highlight our belief regarding the Qur'an, and that belief, as we said, is that the Qur'an is the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Qur'an is the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not created. Kalamullahi ghayru makhluq. It is the speech of Allah, it is not created. Jibreel alayhi salam heard the Qur'an from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah spoke the Qur'an with sounds and voice that was heard. Allah spoke the Qur'an with letters and words that were heard. And Jibreel alayhi salam heard them. And then he came and narrated them to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So the Qur'an is the speech of Allah, spoken by Allah, heard by Jibreel. It is not something that was created it is not like the people of innovation say that Jibreel alayhi salam took the Qur'an from the Lawh al-Mahfuz, that he went to the preserved tablet and took the Qur'an from the preserved tablet. That is not the correct belief. That is not the belief of Ahl sunnah Rather we say the Qur'an is the speech of Allah. Allah spoke the Qur'an and Jibreel heard it. And these narrations here that talk about the reward of reciting the Qur'an and every letter of the Qur'an, they highlight that the Qur'an is indeed words and letters that were spoken by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that there is reward upon reciting every letter of the Qur'an. And in the narration of Ali radiallahu anhu, he said, whoever disbelieves in a single letter of the Qur'an has disbelieved in all of it. Whomsoever disbelieves in a single letter of the Qur'an, then he has disbelieved in all of it. And there is no 
conflict or difference between the Muslims, that somebody who rejects the Qur'an, whether it is a surah of the Qur'an, or an ayah of the Qur'an, or a word of the Qur'an, or a letter of the Qur'an, that this individual is by consensus a disbeliever. So this is some of the belief that he mentions here regarding the Qur'an. We therefore know of the great virtue and status and nobility of the Qur'an, the final revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which overrides all of the previous revelations. And it has great status, and the salaf, they used to mention its status, and they used to say that with regards to their study of the Qur'an, they used to learn it, read it, memorize it, understand it, practice it. They used to do all of that. And in one narration, the famous narration where they said, كُنَّا لَا نَتَجَاوَزُ عَشْرَ آيَاتٍ مِّنَ الْقُرْآنِ حَتَّى نَعْلَمَ مَعَانِيهَا وَنَعْمَلَ بِهَا The Salaf, they said, we never used to go past ten ayat of the Qur'an until we knew their meanings and we acted upon them. Until we knew their meanings and we acted upon them. So it wasn't just a case of blindly reading, just reading and reading without understanding anything, without memorizing anything, without practicing anything. It wasn't just a case of that. Yes, reading it is good and there is reward. But the Qur'an isn't just for reading. It is more than that. It is to be understood. Need to understand the meanings of the Qur'an. Need to learn the meanings of the Qur'an. Need to memorize them. Need to practice it. And that is what the Salaf they used to do. They said we never used to go past. Ten ayat. Wouldn't just keep reading and reading. Ten ayat. Then we would make sure we understood the meanings of those ten ayat. And that we practiced what was said to us in those ten ayat. Compare that to the people these days. They may memorize the whole of the Qur'an. Memorize the whole of the Qur'an people these days. And yet they do not understand even a single surah or a single ayah of the Qur'an. They do not know the meanings of a single ayah or a single surah, yet they have memorized it all from beginning to end. That is not the real objective behind the Qur'an. It is not the objective to simply memorize and be blind to its meanings. Rather, the Qur'an is to be understood. It is revelation. It is guidance. Guidance and revelation. Hudan lil muttaqin, Guidance for those who are upon piety. For those who are upon righteousness and they want to practice their religion and please their Lord, the Qur'an is certainly for them going to be guidance. As for those who reject it and neglect it and pay no attention to it, then they are the ones who will be losers, not understanding the reality of their religion. So it is important, the Qur'an. And it is a great mistake and a great error that the people, they only open the Qur'an in the month of Ramadan. That they only open the Qur'an on a regular basis in the month of Ramadan and the other 11 months of the year, then the Qur'an is hardly opened at all, if at all. And perhaps a person opens the Qur'an and reads the Qur'an more in the month of Ramadan than he does in the other 11 months combined. And it is not something far-fetched. It is not something far-fetched to say that there are people who never open up the Qur'an except occasionally in the month of Ramadan. And that is a disaster. That is a disaster. A disaster for the Muslim. The final revelation from Allah, the speech of Allah, the words of Allah, and you are negligent of them. Negligent of the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is revelation, this is guidance to remove the people from disobedience and remove them from shirk and remove them from innovation and put them into light and guidance and tawheed and yet you are going to be negligent of it. Then that is indeed a disaster, the one who abandons the Qur'an. 
Ashaykh bin Baz, rahimahullahu ta'ala, he used to say every person should open up the Qur'an, should read the Qur'an every day, half an hour at least. Every day put time half an hour at least to read the speech of Allah, to understand the words of Allah. Half an hour a day from your time, from 24 hours. Half an hour in the evening, put it aside. Give the rights to your family, do what you need to do. Half an hour in the evening, the kids are in bed or whatever. Put time aside to read the Qur'an. Otherwise, what are you going to do in that spare time that you have? And everybody has spare time. Everybody has time that they simply waste on doing nothing here and there. Otherwise, you will be browsing the internet, you'll be reading this, reading that, doing this, doing that, nothing of any importance. Sheikh bin Baz, he said, put aside time every day on a daily basis to look into the Qur'an, to read the Qur'an, to memorize a little bit extra from the Qur'an. And a person, when he thinks about those things, you realize really how it builds up. Imagine now since Ramadan. Ramadan, now how many months has it been? Four months since Ramadan went by. Four or five months since Ramadan went by. Imagine now, you do simple maths and you see what you can do in reality. If a person had memorized a line of the Qur'an, an ayah of the Qur'an per day. Let's say even an ayah of the Qur'an every two days. Half an ayah a day. Or when you get the mushaf from the page, a page a week. Or even every two weeks. Even a page every two weeks. So every month you're finishing two pages. Four months have gone by now. That's almost half a juz. You could have memorized half a juz, even if you did it at that slow pace of one page every two weeks. Half a page a week. Half a page a week is what? Half a page of the Qur'an a week. Barely a line a day. Barely a line a day. And by now you could have had half a juz, and if you carried it on, by the time you get to Ramadan, you could have had an extra juz memorized. How old are you now? How long have you been practicing? Ten years? By now you could have had ten juz of the Qur'an by simply doing half a page a week. Memorizing half a page of the week and you could have had half of the Qur'an, ten juz of the Qur'an by now. That is all it takes. Simple effort. A person puts in a little bit of effort to memorize ten, twenty minutes a day. 20, 30 minutes, that is all it takes per day from your time. That you memorize an ayah of the Qur'an. There are narrations that talk about the virtue of memorizing. How memorizing an ayah of the Qur'an, studying an ayah of the Qur'an or two ayahs of the Qur'an is better for you than the red camels. In those days the red camels, it is like the example of Ferraris and Lamborghinis or whatever you call them. That was the most expensive and luxurious thing, the red camels. And in the hadith it is mentioned, an ayah from the Qur'an, two ayat from the Qur'an, they are better for you than a camel or two camels or three camels from those luxurious, valuable, expensive camels. Such is the value of the Qur'an, that it will come and intercede for you on your behalf on the day of judgment. So it is a calamity that the people have abandoned the Qur'an. It is a calamity that the people no longer memorize the Qur'an. People have become old in age. And they are perhaps practicing their religion now for years. They know that this religion is to be practiced. They've been praying for years. They've been upon this practice for years. Yet they've never taken any step to put something together with the Qur'an. So you must give focus to that. Do not be from those people who only know the Qur'an in the month of Ramadan. The Qur'an is something in your lives beginning to end every day. There is a student I used to know in the University of Medina. A young student, he was barely 18 years old. Hafiz of the Qur'an. He was Hafiz of the Qur'an, finished it young. He was barely still 18 or something yet. He had finished the Qur'an, memorized it all. But obviously, once you memorized all of the Qur'an, you need to regularly keep revising it, otherwise you'll forget. So he used to revise it regularly. How regularly did he used to revise it? The whole of the Qur'an, he used to recap it, beginning to end, in how many days do you think? Seven. Too much. Six days. 
In six days he used to revise the whole of the Qur'an beginning to end. Meaning every day he used to revise and recap five juz. Five juz every day times six days, 30 juz. Five juz every day. Three in the morning after Fajr. Fajr in Saudi Arabia always around about five o'clock. Five o'clock-ish thereabouts, pray Fajr. And you don't go to sleep after Fajr. Only the, the, the useless students used to go to sleep after Fajr. So after Fajr, you stay awake, you have a couple of hours because university starts at 7.30 then. First lecture, 7.30 in the morning, sometimes 8 o'clock. No later than 8 o'clock. So you have a couple of hours at least after Fajr. In those couple of hours, he used to revise three juz every morning, he says. Couple of hours, go through three juz. Just practice, read, read, read. If you get stuck, have a look. Carry on reading, reading, get stuck, have a look. Practice three juz. Then the same day in the evening after Isha, he used to put an hour or so aside, an hour, an hour, ten minutes aside after Isha to practice two mojas. Next day, the same thing. Three in the morning, two in the evening. Three in the morning, two in the evening. Every six days, he was revising and recapping the whole Quran. That is what you call memorization. Now that individual, if he's doing that week in, week out, any day of the week, randomly you could pick somewhere and he'll know it. Any day of the week, you pick him up on the street, you say to him, okay, just number 22, from this ayah, read it, he'll be able to do it. Because he's revising the full thing on a weekly basis, the full Qur'an, on a weekly basis he's reading it, finishing it. And when you see the examples of the Salaf as well, what they used to do, in uh, stories about the Ramadan in particular, Al-Imam Al-Bukhari, Al-Imam Al-Bukhari, they mention about him, like Sahih al-Bukhari, Al-Imam al-Bukhari, that in Ramadan, how many times did he used to finish the Qur'an beginning to end? He used to lead the Taraweeh prayer, Al-Imam al-Bukhari. He used to lead the Taraweeh prayer. How many days did it used to take him to finish the Qur'an in Taraweeh prayer leading? Three days. He used to finish the Qur'an every three days. So that means every night he was reading about ten juz. In Taraweeh prayer. This is how they used to pray. This was the Salaf. Ten juz a night, every three nights he would finish the Qur'an. Fourth night, you're back to the beginning again. Every three nights in Taraweeh, finish the Qur'an. But it wasn't just that. What about his personal reading outside of Taraweeh? What do they say about Al-Imam Al-Bukhari? How often he used to finish the Qur'an in his personal reading outside of Taraweeh prayer? Once every day. Used to recite the full Quran once every day in Ramadan. So altogether, at the end of Ramadan, he's been reading the Quran once every day for thirty days. That's thirty or twenty-nine, and he's been finishing it once every three days in Taraweeh, leading everybody. So that's another ten. He's finished the Quran in Ramadan approximately forty times, beginning to end. And there are examples from the Salaf even more than that. There are examples from some of the Salaf. They say they used to finish it sixty times every Ramadan. This is how they used to focus on the Qur'an. This is the value and the importance they gave to the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Of course, outside of Ramadan, then you're not supposed to finish the Qur'an in less than three days or so to space it out and read it and understand it and be careful with it as the Salaf they said. Then we used to go past ten ayat and they understood the meanings of it. So the Qur'an is something to give importance to. Even if today everybody began doing it, even if today you began doing it, that you go home and you start memorizing. You learn an ayah today, an ayah tomorrow. This time next week you've learned a quarter of a page, half a page. This time in two weeks you've learned a full page. Two months will fly by. These lessons here now in Leeds, we've been doing them for five years almost. Where has those five years gone? They fly by. Everybody thinks back. You remember when you were in primary school. You remember 20 years ago, 15 years ago when you were a small kid. Where has that time gone? Flies by. If you were to start now, six months will fly by. We'll be sitting here, inshallah ta'ala, if life is decreed for us. And you'll be sitting there with maybe a juz memorized extra. All you have to do is put that little bit of effort in on a daily basis, on a weekly basis. How can a person be negligent of the Qur'an and he gives importance to the affairs of the dunya? gives importance to the affairs of his worldly belongings, of his worldly gains, and he forgets the speech of Allah. This is the words of Allah. 
This isn't something one of the scholars has written or even Prophet Muhammad wrote. No. These are the words of Allah. Allah spoke these words. person needs to realize the magnificence and the weight of what this Qur'an is. So that is something to give focus to and to pay attention to. And a person should not become negligent and become uh, lazy when it comes to the Qur'an. Then, the next chapter, after the chapter regarding the Qur'an, the author goes on to speak about رُؤْيَةُ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ لِرَبِّهِمْ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ The belief of Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah, that the believers will see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the hereafter. So this is the topic regarding seeing Allah. The question, can humans see Allah? Will we ever see Allah? With regards to that question, it has been answered in the Quran, in the Sunnah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us in the Quran the answer to this question. Can we ever see Allah? It's mentioned in the Qur'an, it's mentioned in the sunnah, this topic and this question. And Allah has informed us that the believers, the people, the humans, we cannot ever see Allah in this world. In this world, in this existence, we cannot see Allah. In this world, in this existence, nobody can see Allah. Not even the Prophet sallallahu saw Allah on the night of al-Isra al-Mi'raj. On the night of al-Isra al-Mi'raj, which was the night when the Prophet sallallahu was taken up to the heavens, even that night the Prophet sallallahu did not see Allah directly. So nobody can see Allah in this existence. Before Muhammad sallallahu the Prophet, which Prophet? Asked Allah to be able to see him. Musa alayhi salam, it's in the Quran. Musa alayhi salam requested from Allah, allow me to see you. But it wasn't possible. It couldn't occur. Musa alayhi salam didn't see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Muhammad salam didn't see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we, the humans, none of us can see Allah in this existence. But after this existence comes to an end, on the day of judgment. On the day of judgment when this existence all comes to an end. And the new existence begins. Which is the afterlife. The hereafter. In that existence what is the ruling then? Then as it is mentioned in the Quran. In the authentic sunnah. The believers will be able to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in fact it is mentioned that the greatest, greatest blessing, the greatest reward and blessing that a person can have in the hereafter, in the afterlife, is the ability to see Allah. No matter what you want in paradise, have everything you want, nothing will compare to the bliss and the blessing of being able to see Allah. That doesn't mean that we will be able to comprehend everything about Allah. We will see Allah, but us in our creation, we are weak. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the mighty and majestic, we will be able to see Allah, but we will not understand and comprehend everything about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What we mean by that is, an example the scholars give, is when you look at the moon. When you look at the moon, and they say apparently, is it tonight or tomorrow night, is going to be the, the monster moon, or what do they call it? Huh? Super moon. The super moon is going to be tonight or tomorrow night, I think. Tomorrow night. Where it's going to look huge. 
for whatever the reasons are behind it, the science. It's been a long time I did the GCSE, but it's going to be the supermoon. So when a person looks at the supermoon, as they call it, tomorrow night, you'll be able to see it. Huge moon in the sky. You'll see it there. Your eyesight will see the moon. Without telescopes, without anything, you'll see the moon. You can see it. Can you understand and comprehend everything you see? The answer to that question is no. When you see the moon tomorrow night, just by looking at it, can you work out what the diameter of it is? Impossible. How are you going to estimate that? By looking at it, can you work out what the weight of the moon is? Impossible. How are you going to work that out? By looking at it, can you work out what the percentage of gravity is compared to earth? Just looking at it. You can't. And you could go on with a long list of things. Just by looking at it, doesn't mean you comprehend and understand everything about it just by vision. You can see it. But there are details you don't know, even though you can see it. You can see it. But what's the level of gravity compared to earth? No idea. Unless they tell you in the books of science and whatever else they do. By looking at it, you don't know. What's the diameter of it? You can see it all there in the sky in front of you. It's all there. What's the diameter? No idea. How are you going to work that out by just looking at it? So you can look at it, but it doesn't mean you understand and comprehend everything about it. That's what they say. In the hereafter, Allah said in the Quran, لا تدركه الأبصار Your eyesights will not be able to comprehend Allah. You will see. You will see Allah. But you'll not comprehend everything about Allah because of His might and majesty. <coughs> so firstly then, we need to give the evidences for what we've just said. We've now just said that the aqidah, the correct aqidah, is that we cannot see Allah in this existence, but we will be able to see Him in the afterlife existence. Now we need to give some proof. From the Qur'an, from the sunnah to back up this claim, to back up this aqidah. So what are the evidences? Here the author, he mentions them. One example is the ayah in the Qur'an. That on that day the faces of the believers will be glowing, shining, radiant. إِلَىٰ رَبِّهَا نَاظِرًا Looking at their Lord. How much more of a blatant ayah do you want? Looking at their Lord. On that day their faces will be bright, glowing. إِلَىٰ رَبِّهَا نَاظِرًا Looking at their Lord. The scholars, they gave two different tafsirs of this ayah. Some of the scholars, they said that the believers, when they first see Allah, as a consequence of seeing Allah, the effect of that on them will be that they'll start to become bright and glowing and radiant from the vision of Allah. Others, they say no. Before they even see Allah, Allah will make their faces all bright and glowing to be ready in that beautiful appearance to see Allah. So two different tafsir, but both of them indicate roughly the same meaning, that the believers, their faces will be glowing and bright and shining when they see and look at Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Somebody may say, but what if this ayah is like a simile or a metaphor, metaphorically speaking, Maybe there's some other meaning behind it. It's just a metaphor. But it doesn't physically mean they'll be looking at Allah. Then that is refuted. Because in the Arabic language, when you have this verb, نَظَرَةً And it is made متعدي with the harf jar إِلَى Then in Arabic language, that indicates a physical vision. And it cannot be a metaphor. That's a rule in the Arabic language. So linguistically in Arabic... This phrase here that they'll be looking at their Lord cannot be a metaphor or a simile or anything like that. This is an actual physical vision that they will see their Lord. Another, that's in Surah Al-Qiyamah. Another example. 
في سورة المطففين كلا إنهم عن ربهم يومئذ لمحجوبون In this ayah Allah says Nay Indeed They will be veiled From seeing their Lord on that day Allah says Nay They will be veiled from seeing their Lord on that day How is that a proof that we're going to see Allah When the ayah is saying That nay They will be veiled from seeing their Lord on that day How is that a proof we're going to see Allah then How oh, what? How was the proof? If it's um, if that's the ruling for the kuffar. How do we know this is the ruling for the kuffar? This ayah is saying, "Nay, they will be veiled from seeing their Lord on that day." Who will be veiled from seeing Allah on that day? The disbelievers, but what is the proof? What if somebody says, no, that's for everybody, Muslims, non-Muslims, nobody can see Allah. The ayah says they will be veiled. Everybody will be veiled. Nobody will be able to see Allah. What if somebody says that? How are we going to prove to them, no, that's wrong. This ayah is talking about the disbelievers only, that they will be veiled from seeing Allah. Which means if the disbelievers are veiled from seeing Allah, The believers are not veiled. But we need proof that this ayah is... So what do the other ayah say? Uh Carry on, carry on. No, where are you? Surah Al-Mutaffifin That's not Mutaffifin You're in Qiyamah Surah Al-Mutaffifin Have a look at ayah number 15 Get your phones out quickly Get your phones out quickly Surah Al-Mutaffifin, ayah number 15 Have a look now No, that's Mutaffifin That's Qiyamah you're reading Have a look now, take your phones out, look Surah Al-Mutaffifin, ayah number 15 Have a look if you do it now, you won't forget. Surah Al-Mutaffifin, ayah number 15, what does it say? Which section? Where's number 15? Okay, where's the proof? Where's the proof? Where's the proof? So what does it say? What does ayah number 14 say? Ayah number 14 says... Which means... Their hearts are covered. I explained. Their hearts are covered what? Okay, and then? Then what's the next ayah say? On that day they will be partitioned, i.e. veiled. Then what does it say? So who will enter and burn in the hellfire? The people of Tawheed or the disbelievers? So these ayat in the context of them, they are talking about disbelievers. This ayah that they will be veiled on that day is referring to the disbelievers. But how is that still a proof that the believers are going to see Allah? Even if we prove now that this ayah is talking about the disbelievers. Disbelievers will be veiled from seeing Allah. How is that a proof that the believers will not be veiled then? Because this ayah 
has mentioned a particular specific point. That particular specific point is that the disbelievers will be veiled. To mention that as a specific point must mean therefore that the ones who are believers will not be veiled. That's the mafhum al-mukhalafa as they say. That if something has been negated specifically, then the generality is okay. Here the disbelievers have been negated specifically. They will be veiled. They've been identified. If it was the case that the believers are also going to be veiled, then that would mean the disbelievers and the believers are all similar and equal. And that can't be the case. Believers and disbelievers all equal and same. That isn't the case in the hereafter. The believers are superior. They will be saved. So we cannot say that the believers are going to be veiled too. If the believers are going to be veiled too, then this ayah is the same to them as well. They are all veiled. Believers and disbelievers. And that can't be. So here the disbelievers are mentioned as being veiled from their Lord. However, the believers therefore will not be veiled from seeing their Lord. And that is therefore a proof also that they will be able to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Also, from the examples that are given. The hadith, وَالْمُؤْمِنُونَ يَرَوْنَ رَبَّهُمْ فِي الْآخِرَةِ بِأَبْصَارِهِمْ وَيَزُورُونَهُ وَيُكَلِّمُهُمْ وَيُكَلِّمُونَهُ The author mentions, before the hadith, the author mentions that on that day, the believers will see their Lord, and with their eyes, and they will visit, they will see Allah, and they will speak to Allah, and Allah will speak to them. How do we know that Allah will speak to the people on the Day of Judgment? In the Hadith, He says, "Ma minkum illa sayyukallimuhu Rabbuhu laysa bainahu wa bainahu tarjuman." There is not a single one of you except that Allah will speak to you on that day, and there will not be any interpreter between you and Allah. So Allah will speak to every individual. Then there is a Hadith. Then there is a Hadith, and it mentions that the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said. إِنَّكُمْ تَرَوْنَ رَبَّكُمْ كَمَا تَرَوْنَ هَذَا الْقَمَرَ لَا تُضَامُّونَ فِي رُؤْيَتِهِ The Prophet said, Indeed, you will see your Lord. Indeed, you will see your Lord. Just like you can see the moon. And you will not be pushing or shoving one another. And you will not be blocking one another. Everybody will see their Lord. Just like you can see the moon. So now when you go out at night and the moon is up in the sky, even if there was a million people down on the ground, everybody, all they have to do is look up and everybody can see the moon. Even if there was a crowd of a million people, nobody's going to stop anybody else. Because all you have to do is look up and you see the moon. So Allah gives this example. Just like you can all see the moon, then indeed you will all see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on that day, the believers. So this is an ayah or a hadith which also proves that you will see Allah. It is not a comparison between Allah and the moon. It is a comparison between the method of vision. That just like you can see the moon easily, then you'll be able to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala easily on that day. There are other ayat too in the Quran which prove it. The ayah for example, uh, where it mentions, لَهُمَّا يَشَاءُونَ فِيهَا وَلَدَيْنَا مَزِيدٌ Surah Qaf. That the believers will have whatever they want in paradise. Whatever they want, they will have it. But then Allah says, on top of that, we will give them extra. Everything they want. But even after that, extra on top of that will give them. What is the extra on top of everything they've already got? To be able to see Allah. And how do we know that's what it means? Because the Prophet ﷺ made the tafsir of this ayah in a hadith. The Prophet ﷺ gave us the tafsir of these ayat about the ziyadah, about the extra being the fact that you will be able to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the hereafter. So these are all evidences that highlight we will see Allah in the hereafter. The believers will see their Lord. But because the ayah says, لا تدركه الأبصار The eyesight cannot comprehend Allah. Then that as we said before, you will see Allah 
But it doesn't mean you'll understand and comprehend everything from the might and the majesty of Allah. But you will see with your eyes. In this world, we said that isn't possible. In this world, we said it's not possible. What is the proof that in this world it isn't possible? What if somebody said, but all of these evidences, don't they indicate therefore in this world we could see Allah too, if we can see Him in the hereafter? We say, no, they don't. Why? Because there are evidences very clearly that highlight in this existence it isn't possible. One clear hadith is where the Prophet ﷺ said, لَن تَرَوْ رَبَّكُمْ حَتَّى تَمُوتُوا You will not see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala until you die. When you die, you then go into the afterlife, the other existence, then you can see Allah. But in this life, the Prophet ﷺ said, لَن تَرَوْ رَبَّكُمْ You will not see your Lord in this life until you die. حَتَّى تَمُوتُوا And that's why, when it comes to the people of innovation, what do the people of innovation say? Some of the people of innovation went to an extreme on one side, other people of innovation went to an extreme on the other side. One group of the people of innovation like the Sufis, they say you can see Allah in the hereafter, just like Ahlul Sunnah say. But on top of that, they say you can see Allah in this existence too. They say they're imams, they're big Sufi imams, go to paradise at night and they see Allah and everything. That's what they claim. Nonsense. You cannot see Allah in this world. So one group of people, they went to extreme and they started saying you can see Allah in this life. Musa alayhi salam didn't see Allah. Muhammad salam didn't see Allah. How do you think your Sufi imams are going to go to paradise at night and see Allah? The other group of innovation, they went to an extreme on the other side and they began to say you cannot see Allah in this life, which is true, Ahlul Sunnah say that too. But on top of that they said you cannot even see Allah in the hereafter. And that is false, because all these evidences indicate very clearly that you will see Allah in the hereafter. So with that issue, it is very clear. In this life, we cannot see Allah. But in the hereafter, the evidences clearly prove that you will see your Lord. And that is the belief of Ahl sunnah wal Jama'ah, the Aqeedah, from the Prophet wasallam, the Sahaba and the Salaf. So that is where we'll briefly round off today. If there's any questions regarding that, we can take them now. What's the what, sorry? See who? See Allah? The Prophet Seeing the Prophet Muhammad in a dream. Is that possible or not? Talking about the Prophet Muhammad. Anyone else? Is it possible to see the Prophet Muhammad in a dream or not? It's possible. What's the fatwa from the Maldives? Possible or not? What's the what's the fatwa of the people there? <laughs> possible or not? To see the Prophet in a dream. It is possible. It is possible. This is correct. It is possible to see the Prophet ﷺ in a dream. But, it is mentioned. How do you know if you really saw the Prophet in a dream or not? You might wake up thinking, I saw a dream, that was the Prophet in the dream. How do you know if it really was the Prophet? We know in a hadith, the Prophet said, the shaitan can't take the appearance of the Prophet ﷺ. Shaitan might come to you in your dream with appearance of different people. And he pretends to be different people in your dream. Possible. But he cannot pretend to be the Prophet ﷺ. Shaitan can't take the appearance of the Prophet ﷺ in your dream. So if you actually saw the Prophet ﷺ, then you saw him. Shaitan, exactly. How do you know though? Shaitan can't be taking his appearance and pretending. So how do you know then that person you saw in the dream, you thought it was the Prophet. How do you know if it really was the Prophet? How do you know then? It's about the description. The Prophet ﷺ, we know what he used to look like. It's in the books, in the history books, the seerah books. We know what his appearance was like. If you saw a dream and you saw a man in your dream and you thought it was the Prophet ﷺ, what you need to do is 
check what did the Prophet actually used to look like, and that's in the books of Sirah, in the books of history, it's mentioned what he used to look like. He used to have a fair complexion, with a bit of redness in his complexion, all these kinds of details are mentioned, about his hair, about his build, everything is mentioned about the size of his beard, all these things are in the history. So when you read all of those descriptions, if they match exactly the man you saw in your dream, then it was the Prophet ﷺ. But if you saw something in your dream, and then afterwards you, you think it was the Prophet, and the Prophet was saying this to me and that to me, then you look, and in the description it mentions he was fair-skinned, he was this, he was that, and you saw in your dream, for example, a, a man who was dark-skinned, for example. Or you saw a man who was really tall, or a man who was really short, then you know that who you saw wasn't the Prophet ﷺ, you just do thinking that. So it's all about checking the exact description, which is mentioned in the books, what he used to look like exactly. You check that, if it's exactly that what you saw, then that is the Prophet ﷺ you saw. On top of that then, there are other factors which will let you know. The nature of the dream, the type of dream. So for example, there's, a, there's an example of a person once, he said that I dreamt I was in my dream, I was in my bed. I saw myself in my bed in my dream, in my room. And I dreamt that the Prophet ﷺ came to me, came in my room and came to me. And that's how the dream was. I saw myself in my bedroom asleep and that the Prophet ﷺ came into my bedroom. This could not have been the Prophet ﷺ. Why not? Because the nature of the dream doesn't allow it. To say that the Prophet ﷺ walked into your house and walked into your bedroom, that type of, the, the type of dream there doesn't fit. In another dream, somebody said once that they had a dream, they were in their house. They saw themselves in the dream sitting in their house. And they saw Adam ﷺ. Somebody said they saw Adam ﷺ in their dream. And he was looking in through the window from the like, living room window. He, was, he said, I saw myself, I was in a dream, I was sitting in my house, and I looked from my window, my living room window, and I saw Adam salam looking in. I saw Adam salam. Couldn't have been. Why not? Exactly. Somebody peeking into your house? Obviously not, they can't be one of the prophets. The nature of the dream gives it away. That can't be right. How could it be that a prophet's going to come and peek into your room? Can't be right. So sometimes the nature of the dream, you can tell this, it was just you imagining things. But if it's a legitimate dream, and you see something, and you think it was the Prophet, check the descriptions. If it exactly matches them, that is what you saw in your dream, then it is the Prophet ﷺ, that is possible. That's true, it's mentioned. How the Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed angels upon you as guardians upon you. These types of things are mentioned in the sunnah. Angels are there, angels who write down your deeds, angels who guard over you, angels who come to these gatherings of knowledge. That type of thing is mentioned. Angels, they come. There are, it's mentioned there are angels who look for these gatherings of knowledge. And when they see these gatherings of knowledge, they come and they join and they sit around these gatherings of knowledge. That type of thing is mentioned. And angels who guard over you, that's mentioned in the Quran, in the Sunnah. It's possible angels can take the form of humans. When Jibreel alayhi salam used to come to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, what did he used to come looking like? A human. He never used to come in his original angelic appearance. The Prophet did see Jibreel upon his original angelic appearance. And he said that he saw Jibreel had how many wings? 600, 600 wings. And when Jibreel had them outstretched, it covered the whole of the horizon. So the Prophet saw Jibreel on his original appearance. But when Jibreel used to come to him, in the cave and in other places, generally when Jibreel used to come to him, he used to come to him in the appearance of a human. Like in that famous hadith, Umar ibn Khattab, he says, بَيْنَمَا نَحْنُ جُلُسُنْ عِنْدَ رُسَلَ that one day we were sitting with the Prophet ﷺ and a man came to us wearing very white clothes and very dark hair. Who was that man in the hadith? Jibreel. So normally Jibreel used to come like a human. The Prophet ﷺ only saw Jibreel in real angelic Jibreel appearance how many times? Just twice. 
So the angels, they used to come in that appearance. Was Allah have veils when he was when Musa asked to see him? Did he remove a veil from himself? Or is that incorrect? When Musa alayhi salam asked to see Allah, Allah said what? It's in the Quran. Look towards the mountain. If it remains in its place, then you can see me. So then when Allah uncovered something to the mountain, the mountain crumbled, couldn't take it. So then it became clear, and Musa alayhi salam fell unconscious. So then it became clear that it wasn't possible for humans to see Allah. I don't know about that narration or anything like that. Allah And the meaning of a nadra, because people use say that means to wait as well. To wait? Yeah. And there's an ayah, فَحَلْ يَنْظُرُونَ إِلَى السَّاعَةِ No, that's with a thought. This is with a thought. Oh, you mean إِلَى رَبِّهَا النَّاظِرَةِ No, because it can't, because of إِلَى. When إِلَى comes in, حَرْفْ جَرْ إِلَى makes it متعدي, it cannot be with the meaning of waiting. It's in the books of grammar. Look, you look Al-Fiyat ibn Malik in these places. Nadara, this verb with ila must mean direct vision. It cannot mean waiting or any other meaning. There's no excuse. There's no excuse. In Arabic language, it is refutation of them. Refutation of them, nadara there cannot mean those other meanings. Because it is muta'addi bi ila, then it means nadar, actual nadar. That's in the books of language, Al-Fiyat ibn Malik, other places probably. In this uh, life, was the, uh, the group that you mentioned? Generally, generally yeah. the Sufis. No. The Sufis have many different groups underneath no, them. No. But generally, the Sufiya and those types of groups, mm-hmm. they believe these things that you can see Allah now in the in in the in this life, and they believe that Imams go to paradise at night and all those things. Generally, the groups of the Sufiya, some groups, some not, but under the banner of the Sufiya. So we'll conclude there for today then. Inshallah ta'ala next week, same time, just after 7 o'clock. 7, 7.15 inshallah ta'ala next week we'll carry on with the next section which is about the decree. The decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Al-Qadr. That's what we'll be going on next week inshallah.